G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I've got Anthony Tran on the show. He's a migration agent and got incredible insights into what's happening at the coalface with migrants and our changing population and their needs. And we're going into lots of intricacies today on how the government has positioned Perth and WA to be a real destination, which he calls the California of Australia. Certainly are a a hidden gem, but the secret's getting out there. And we've got a lot to touch on today and updates on where things have come to over the last year since we had him on. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. G'day, Anthony. Thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, Your episode last year was one of the most highly downloaded and popular episodes, so I just had to have you back to speak about migration and this massive difference that all this incoming population is making on our markets and economy. So thanks for joining us. I'm sure it's uh, it's not good looks, right? (laughs) Happy to be here. Yeah, well, we've got lots to chat about today, but before we dive in, give us a bit of background for those that might be listening for the first time as to what's your role and responsibilities as a migration agent? Because for a lot of us uh, Westerners that might have been here a while, we might might not understand what even a migration agent is. It is such a thing, so. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's it's a very difficult one. You know, you got two spectrums to it. Some people sort of think that we're bringing in cheap labour and Others think that, you know, we're just, I guess, people smugglers. <laughs> but no, essentially what we do is we help people. Definitely not those things, isn't it? Oh, well, sometimes you do feel like it. Then, <laughs> you know, it's a bit strange sometimes. But essentially what we do is we help people to migrate here who have the right skill sets, uh, investment skills, business skills, or they want to come here and study. So essentially, you know, when you have someone that's overseas and they have a strong desire to contribute to Australia, or make a difference, or just come in to study and, and get a good experience and, and go home. So, you know, we also help people to come in on tourist visas, who come in for holidays and so forth, because, you know, Australia is one of the most difficult countries to actually um, migrate. You know, our okay. visa system is very difficult. So there's a lot of hand-holding that's required uh, for people to, to ensure that, you know, they don't get refused, which is actually uh, quite quite common. And are you dealing with many people that are wanting to move here to live here now, I presume? Uh, yeah, I mean, with COVID, it's, it's been predominantly everyone needs, wants to migrate. Yeah. Uh, people finally got to see what their home country was like and how the country has dealt with the COVID pro, uh, uh, travel restrictions and lockdowns and so forth. You know, Australia has been, always been quite coy about how we did things and we, we obviously... Here in Australia, we have pretty good human rights and, and so forth. So, of course, those were in lockdowns for a really long time in, in Asia, for instance, uh, are dying to come over. But there's a lot of people that are here just to get a better, you know, lifestyle. You know, there's a lot of trust in the Australian government, for instance, whereas, you know, in South America and Asia and South Africa and so forth, there's a lot of mistrust, you know. So, um, I guess a lot of conspiracy theories and whatnot, Australia came out quite good but throughout the whole COVID pandemic, yeah. And what have you sort of seen change over the last year since we spoke? 
on the migration front? Has there only been any major changes, how the government's handling things or what sort of people you're seeing? Uh, Time-wise, you know, we are targeting the highest skilled migrants who can contribute to the economic recovery. And that was core principle behind the subclass 408 COVID visa, which allowed people to stay here uh, to assist us with economic recovery. So I find, you know, the engineers, the doctors, the nurses, the teachers, you know, the core traditional skills and, and, and jobs are the priority. And these type of occupations also require high-level English and there's registration process and stuff like that. So there's a bit of streamlining for them. I've also seen it that they made it a bit more easier for New Zealanders to, to migrate here as well. So there's been a lot of changes in order to have the, uh, the economy recover a lot quickly. You know, we're not really asking for low-skilled workers, but there has been in the building industry, for instance, not, not electricians and plumbers, but you know, plasterers and cabinet makers and carpenters has been a huge demand. I, I found that, that last year, uh, Tate only had, Tate and WA only had, you know, a few ca- uh, students studying cabinet making, you know, so there's a lot of Australians, for instance, who are not taking apprenticeships and they're gone working in the mining industries, for instance, as trade assistants and it's a massive gap at the moment. So um, the government's recognised that. Mm. That's good. And is, has there been any changes on the sort of income levels or anything like that that migrants expect or how that fits into increasing salaries across the board with a lot of professions? Yeah, so what's happened is um, they made an announcement uh, about two weeks ago that on 1st of July 2023, the minimum income requirement for a skilled migrant would be $70,000. Traditionally, for the last 60 years, it, it was fifty three thousand nine hundred. Yeah, and quite the a previous big increase then. Oh, yeah, huge. And and the previous requirement before that was just fifty two thousand nine hundred. So it's just a thousand so more. Increased a thousand. So, now we've gone, you know, <laughs> seven thousand. Know, so obviously went to scale. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So um, they, they recognize that, that. Look, if you're looking for a skilled migrant to come in, they are going to command that sort of salary. You know, so we're not looking for that recent graduate who's coming over here and and getting a $53,000 job, you know, if you're a recent graduate with a, a good salary, you're, you're probably That's skilled enough. criteria, pretty much higher bar, isn't it, to actually really being skilled, not just skilled in inverted commas. That's right. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people here in Australia, you know, Westerns, as, we, as you mentioned before, we fail to recognise that there are a lot of things that these guys have to go through. And the reason why these requirements are there is to actually protect the jobs. So for instance, if I was to get a real estate agent to work in your company, for instance, we need to prove there was actually no other Australian person that can actually take this role. You know, we need to advertise it on various platforms okay. have it advertised on the um, Workforce Australia where all the people go to get the unemployment benefits and so forth. And, you know, we need to critique why this candidate is the best person. So now you also have a salary requirement it would only, it, the idea is to track the best. And that's what we're trying to do. Mm. Well, I wasn't aware of that. So, yeah, you really need to be hiring for the best at what, whatever salary you've gotten. If they're the best candidate, then only then they can sort of qualify. That's right. So, I mean, I, for me, of course, you know, the first thing I was concerned about is whether or not my needs would dry up. 
because yeah. how many companies will pay someone, you know, uh, seventy thousand dollars when it used to be fifty three thousand nine hundred. But in reality, it would without the week. That's the way that I found it. You know, you yeah. need a good resume. You need to have good English. You know, so for me, I, I think it's going to be fine because the reasons why people want to come here is for that lifestyle. And should you earn a salary of seventy thousand dollars, you can actually afford to survive here. You know, and have a good life. So I think it's fair. You know, it gives Australians a good opportunity to still work, keep their jobs, have the flexible work hours that they want because, you know, the migrants will still need to have that salary requirement. And what sort of changes in the population growth have you seen since the borders opened up? Because, you know, previously it was all speculation as to what the government might do when we finally, you know, open the borders again. Is there any sort of data or any, any figures you've seen to give us a feel for what has happened? In terms of permanent residency, for the last six or seven years, we only grant 160,000 permanent residency per year. So it's not much. Is that for Australia? Uh, Australia. And that's across the board, across all industries. So for instance, you know, last year, for instance, there was 16,000 permanent residency granted for business leads. These are guys that were investing, you know, $5 million in Australia. So what's happened is that they've increased the quota to 195,000. And when they increased the quota, they increased the skilled migrant sector. But for whatever reason, they decreased the business visas to only 5,000 grants. Okay. So the blowout time is, is massive. But you know, there's also parent same. visas. Yeah, there's parent visas where each parent will pay $50,000 to get their permanent residency. And the purpose of the program was to get the visa granted within one to two years. It blew out to about four to five years. Yeah. And the current processing time is now 12 years. So it's, it's, it's skewed in that sense. It's still capping how many permanent residencies are granted at a skew to the skilled migrants, as opposed to the people who are throwing the money here as investors and, and their family. But in terms of temporary visas, traditionally we'll have about 250,000 temporary migrants come over here per year. But for the last financial year, it's been about 400,000. So a lot of working on visa people have been coming through. Uh, a lot of uh, students have been coming in. Yeah, it's a big change, 150 to, did you say 150 to? Uh, 250, 250. 250. Yeah, 250 to 400, so 150. Okay, 150 difference. Yeah, yeah that's right. Big difference, yeah. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's temporary visa holders but in terms of permanent residency. I guess they spend money and whether they're here for holiday or the students on temporary visas as well? Is that, or is that a different class again? Uh, so temporary visa holders, traditionally when you say that, you, you include uh, tourists. But uh, in this data, it was uh, just uh, people that are here working that's on a prolonged period. You know, so it didn't include tourists. No. Okay. No worries. And is, was there any other sort of stats there to paint a picture? In terms of uh, population that is coming yeah. over? Or, yeah. What I've found is that a lot of the traditional working holiday visa countries, the Europeans, the Koreans, and, and the Japanese, the feedback is that, you know, because you only get the working holiday visa once in your life. Okay. And you have to be under the age of 30 and, and so forth. Okay. And with the currency exchange at the moment, a lot of people don't want to come in to work and earn money and, and sort of board. So the true numbers of the working holiday visa program is probably not there yet. I know personally a lot of people 
are waiting for you know the currency exchange to pick up. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of it is student visas, and I find it that there's a lot of people applying for student visas at the moment, and it's become quite difficult for us to process because immigration wants to know the gap in your studies, and a lot of students haven't been able to study for the last two years. So there's been a lot of student visa refusals as well. So um, that's not the true number. If you were to grant everyone that's applied, if I if I remember correctly, there was over a million applications. Yeah. At the time, by the time the, the border opened, so it's um you know four hundred thousand came over. So yeah, only forty percent of the people are getting granted. Really, so they haven't just been leaving the um the gates open and letting anyone through. <laughs> so oh, like it might have been very. If that was the case. I'll be a really rich guy at the moment, but I'm not. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's not. It's not that simple. And I, I'm actually very grateful for that they, you know, had a very strict uh, compliance and their procedure. A lot of people do lodge their own visas and they get refused and they, they finally come to us for a solution. But in reality, you know how it is. When, when one person gets in, they'll teach everyone else, like, that's how I did it. And, you know, the department's on top of it straight away. So, um, no, it's not that simple to come over anymore. Uh, I would say it's actually even harder because too many people use COVID as an excuse to, to come through. And I can understand, you know, the economic benefit of them being in our country compared to their country is probably a lot more high. So the case opposites have been quite strict. Yeah, okay. And what sort of population growth is the government expecting in the coming years? Do you, do you know how they're going to... They, there's data that they believe that next year it's going to be about 315,000. That's the projection. So that's, that's the temporary visa holders. In reality, you know, uh, my understanding is that on July 1, they should announce that we will keep the 195,000 quota for permanent residency. Yeah. And we're not going back to the 160,000 as yet because the extra 30,000 is for skilled migrants still. So I think this whole skilled migrant thing is a, is a, is a two-year plan. And the family program and the business investment criteria has been pushed back to probably 2025, 2026, I would say. Yeah, okay. And I guess there's a bit of a catch-22 for the government, isn't it? Because in many respects, we need extra workers. We've got one of the lowest unemployment rates ever. And if we want the economy to keep growing and for us to, you know, ride through the bumpier times ahead, we need to have workers to continue expansion. But then the flip side is they've got a bit of a housing crisis, well, massive housing crisis going on with, you know, nowhere to put all the people and rents continuing to increase because there's, you know, so few supply of investment properties. So that's what I, yeah. Where do you sort of see that balancing act between the two things or, or are you just in the middle, uh, helping as many people as you can with and waiting to see as well, what, what, what's, how this is all going to wash out? I mean, I, I see it in, in a way where it, it is difficult because I have people that want to come over and, and once they've got their visa granted to ask me, can you help me with a place to stay? And I'm like, no, I can't even help my friends here who are Australians to find a place to stay. You go to, I, I did try the other day, I went to the home open to try to help my client to see whether or not he wants to buy. And I remember back in the days, you know, you used to be a real estate agent, you're chasing everybody, trying to get their phone numbers. And I saw this real estate agent, she didn't care. She literally stood there because here's my card, call me with an offer. She didn't even take a database of whoever came in. Okay, yeah, well. And then, well, okay, that's, that's, a, that's pretty soft. Like, <laughs> like all confident, but either oh. way, yeah, you should still get some feedback for your owner. 
No, 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 no. She was getting offers straight away. I could see it. So it's been very difficult in my industry because, you know, there's expectation from them thinking that we're a one-stop shop, but we're not, but we just try to guide you to where you need to go. And then we have all these developers, business visa clients who some of my clients are ready to invest $25, $30 million, but their visa visas aren't being granted. You know, mm-hmm. so I've got one guy at the moment good to go for about $25 million. He's had his application lodged since 2017 and he can't touch that money yeah. because he needs that money ready when his visa gets granted. Okay, so cool. there's a lot of frustration, you know, on the other side too. So well, man, we do help. it's crazy that left hand doesn't talk to the right hand. It's like, well, we need more supply of housing. We've got all these guys that are developers that want to spend the money on creating some of that housing yet. We've yeah. we've pulled back and are restraining how much of that we're granting, and yet that could be solving some of the problems on in the other hand. So yeah, that's right. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we do a business visa, we need to do a business plan. We give that to the state. The state endorses us, and then we launch the visa, and we don't undertake the business plan until the visa is granted because you need to meet certain uh, criteria on your performance once you hold the visa. So all these guys are waiting to go, but they can't. And the program for nomination by the WH State has been closed since last October. So I couldn't put in new nominations in. So I have all these people saying, oh, you know, I'll invest in Australia. It's safe. It's why that you guys got a housing problem. I'll, I'll, I'll contribute, you know, buy parcels of land and we'll build. We'll engage local builders, X, Y, Z. And obviously there's something that has stopped that. You know, so it's been a little bit tricky in that sense. And then I, I see that there's this big gap in, in the skilled migrants where traditionally, you know, all my, let's say, commercial cookery student, they would never get a job at, at the treasury or at these nice distinguished restaurants. And what I've been hearing is that all the bigger companies have been paying to take away staff and moving them out to the mine site. There's ships at the mine site earning huge money. And then you've got all these lower skilled guys stepping up to the next level. And that's happening in the building industry too. You know, all the guys that could be here to help contribute to build, they've all gone out to work in the, uh, the mining industry. And then you've got this massive gap in, um, you know, just general labor. As yeah. say, and general labor is not on a skill list for migrants to come over. Mm. So what I understand within our industry, these builders are asking me, look, I need I just need anybody that can use a tool at the moment that I'm going to look. There's no occupation of the business like that allows it. Yeah, to get I can't, I can't. Yeah, so it's a big gap. They need to solve something. There is rumors that by July 1, they'll review the occupation list and potentially open up to more occupations. But then that's a can of worms, you know, like how many, you know, laborers are you going to pay $70,000? Yeah. I'm not too sure. Besides, it's pretty true. Wage requirements, yeah. then yeah, they could make it very difficult. Correct. So, um, here's to see, you know, how they'll do it. But, um, every single builder that I talk to at the moment, they, they client the staff. I mean, I've got one, I have a fabrication company at the moment who needs 50 welders. And I'm like, well, I'm going to find you 50 welders when you need it. He goes, tomorrow, like, you know, because all the welders have gone to the mine site. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it's quite bad. It's quite bad. Yeah. So, how does Perth? Compare with some of the other capital cities, you know, what you've been speaking with, what you're aware of the opportunities here and how the, our government might look at things a bit differently to the other states. That is extremely attractive 
uh, because we're considered we are regional. Right? The whole state is regional. When you compare Melbourne, Sydney, and, and Brisbane, they're considered you know capital cities, and they don't have regional benefits. And what the government has done is that they they've done the multiple things to to grow in a high area. For instance, there's a regulation that came out called Regulation Two Point One Two, where should you be refused a a visa and you're still onshore, you're able to still lodge a visa while in Australia, as long as you're applying for a visa on this list and the regional employment visas and the regional state sponsorship visas are there. So we've been attracting all these people who made a mistake on their on their visa and they're coming to to Western Australia and they're obviously getting good work, getting good pay, they're contributing to the economy and then they're, and they're all skilled. So that's been a big attraction. I've been getting a lot of people migrating here and Mark McGowan's done a really good job expanding the skill list, he's recognized which sectors that we need. And at one point of time, every other state said, we only want graduates who graduated from our state. And then Mark McGowan opened up a Schedule 2 list, said, we'll accept anyone that graduated across Australia. And everyone just came over. <laughs> everyone just flooded through the lot. That's an opportunity for me. Or they transferred their education to here. And they're now studying in WA. So that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, a really big bonus that we got that boost there, and um, with that he managed to secure a higher quota. So we actually take more more migrants here in WA, and we're competing with you know Melbourne and Sydney. So that's oh, been that's one real at the bonus. Yeah, and then we also have something called Dharma, the designated area where you can get you know more lower skilled workers such as cooks, uh, drillers, truck drivers, just general everyday work. And we have four regions across WA which have this arrangement, which is Kalgoorlie, Dardanelle, uh, Kilburn, Kimberley. Queensland only has two, South Australia has one, and I think New South Wales has a runner, and that's about it. So we're also attracting a lot of migrants who have skills, but they don't have, they're not doctors, they're not lawyers, but they're helping our regional areas. So that's why when you go out to Marble River, uh, you'll see a lot of you know uh, foreigners working there have a lower English threshold as well. And most traditionally, the ordinary skillless sponsorship visas require you to be no older than 45. And these Dharma areas across WA has an age limit of 55. Okay. So they provide a lot of opportunity for those that stay here in WA or Australia. So yeah, there's a, there's a big draw uh, for people to come to WA, that's for sure. Certainly some lower barriers to entry there. They can help us get more of the overall population by. Well, it's, it's definitely on the agenda because we do a lot of marketing and we just look at ourselves as a WA company now. And that's working. You know, people recognize Western Australia now. You know, I, I'd say that, oh, yeah, WA, a good opportunity for us. So, you know, if you tell me, you know, what was it like? Well, you asked me, sorry, what was it like in 2018, 19? Like, we did not exist. We went on the map. Like we weren't on the map at all, you know, they're like, oh, you mean a really small city on the other side? That's what we were, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, we're definitely on the map now. Awesome. So what are some of the different ways that someone can migrate to Perth without going in too much detail because, yeah, Mr. Ballister's listeners aren't overseas migrants, but just how it relates yeah. to us understanding the process, I guess. I mean, the traditional way, which everyone would probably know would be, you know, you get into a relationship in Australia and 
you know, partner visa, right? And, and you're going to get a lot of those. In terms of skilled migrants, there's two key areas, the employer sponsorship and there's points migration. Points migration is based on your level of education, English, how much work experience you have, and you submit an expression of interest to the government and, and they'll go, look, you've got a pretty good profile. I'll take you on. Prior to COVID, WA did not really endorse this. But now, you know, today I've got three invitations. One teacher, a doctor, and a chef that got invited today. The other traditional way is employee sponsorship. Sponsor somebody who has an occupation on the store list and they have at least two years work experience. And then your company can demonstrate a genuine need for this position, right? So a lot of people seem to think that, oh, I've got a business. I can sponsor anybody. Not entirely. The position needs to be proven that you need this person, that you need this job available for the next two or three years, and then you can sponsor this person. So that has become a very big sector for us at the moment due to the skill shortages. And, you know, with getting new requests for occupations, which I never really got before, you know, like people are actually asking me for engineers now. Previously, you just pick an engineer that just came out of university. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite different now. But then the two key areas at the moment, the skilled migration. Points migration and employee sponsorship. Okay, makes sense. So we've touched on in the last episode, but I think it's worth revisiting. Why is Perth like, other than our flexible migration policies, which we ran through, is there any, what are you, what are you hearing from the, your clients and why they might be choosing Perth over the other capital cities? Recently, I've been getting a lot more feedback uh, as opposed to last year. Uh, you know, last year I did say the lifestyle, the weather, you know, the full tourism for a couple of wide. But now I'm starting to get a better understanding, you know, this crime, though that, you know, there's crime everywhere in the world compared to Melbourne, Sydney, and then and, and, and Queensland, you know, it's relatively very safe here in Western Australia. And people are very concerned about how their children will grow up here. So accessing to good uh, education, uh, support here for that as well. Driving here is obviously a lot more easier. There's no issues with traffic jams and so forth. And I guess... You know, it's not a concrete jungle. You know, a lot of them are telling me that they're happy that they can actually own land. They have a decent-sized house, you know, it's double brick, it's, it's good quality. Whereas you go over to Melbourne, you know, some of them tell me that they'll punch through the wall and, you know, that's it. It's it's low-quality build, but you're paying so much more money. So, you know, you compare 45 minutes out from the Sydney CBD compared to Perth, it's a no-brainer. So I'm getting a lot of Europeans who... Love the fact that, you know, I can go to Rockingham and Joondalup. Feels like I'm by the ocean, but I'm actually only 30, 40 minutes from the city. And, uh, you know, as a local, I'm thinking you, you must be mad. But then I uh, find out that for them, they, they drive so far in the ocean and don't have to pay so much money for it. So it's just ideal, you know, getting in and out of Perth is also relatively easy. Connecting to Dubai or by Singapore as well. So it's just lifestyle. Adapting to a foreign country, and they find that people in Western Australia are actually a lot more uh, easygoing as well. Not as intense, know, potentially as Sydney. And <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, cultural barriers over there, and everyone's segmented into you know whatever ethnicity you are. But over here, you know, you see a Chinese guy and hang out with with you know an Australian guy, no problem. You know, no one really cares here. So mm. pe- people find that it's a good place to to move to. So. You know, I had a lot of uh, working holiday visa people 
and they want to come back here. They're all in Melbourne, Sydney at the moment. They said, no, nah, like, I want to go back to Perth. It's just such a relaxing way to, to live my life, you know? So in terms of lifestyle, it's, it's a great place for, for everyone that wants to come with you as well. Mm. And I think you said lifestyle last time, but mm. it was a lot more detailed um, and specific areas of lifestyle then. So that makes a lot more sense, the, the things you spoke. Yeah. About. Yeah, that's right. Right, because obviously in the past, and it's always going to be that, you know, WA is always going to be the time zone to Asia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, doing business with Asia is really yep. simple. It's, it's not that hard. Uh, traditionally, a lot of people have sent their children here to, to study you know, university, you know, and tradition will continue. When these guys go back to Malaysia or Singapore, they also want to send their kids here to study because they can drop in whenever they want to visit kids. There's also, you know, accessibility to to housing although we're not housing crisis at the moment i do believe it's still a lot more easier than, than the east coast uh, that's for sure but yes yeah, we're a lot more affordable than the east coast and when you look at what someone can get for 500 grand a year versus there you know you're gonna have a shoebox over there and you can still get a decent size house here i, I guess the best example that i'll have would be They'll come here, they'll visit me, they'll say, hey, Anthony, you know, how much would it cost to go to the part? About 10 minutes from the CBD. Why? I forget. Uh, about a meal, just a meal, just a meal, just thereabouts. I'm like, oh, no, that was in Melbourne, Sydney. We're talking about $2.5 million. I'm like, yeah, it's not Melbourne, Sydney. You know, so to that scale, they're already surprised. Like, well, hold on. Why is it so cheap here? And it, it is kind of funny because if you go through that, then they end up going to Canning Mail anyway. <laughs> I get really confused. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, you've got the money for it, but then it is quite strange because there's a bunch of guys that are in Canada at the moment who are legitimate millionaires, but they still love living out that way. It's quite strange for me, you know? So um, that's one thing. And another thing I've noticed as well, now, now that the borders open, I like the fact that they can come to Australia, or WA, sorry, and pack and go whatever they want, you know, because it's so easy to duck in, duck out. They're not really worried about their house getting broken into and so forth. I, I didn't really experience that before, but a lot of people coming in and I'm going to go, I'll see you in you know, a month, Talks up his house, go, comes back. It's a, it's a very different thing for me to see at the moment, mm. but it's been very common recently that people like the fact that they can just duck in, do their business and leave. Yeah, nice. I'm certainly thinking of ducking out for a holiday at some point as well, back, <laughs> on my, back the other way, so... That's it. Everyone's leaving the country. Half my staff is missing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if- I think we're doing a rotation at the moment to Bali from the office and, you know, someone each week, especially across winter. Two, two, two of the guys that are in Bali. I'm a bit, I'm a bit jealous. <laughs> so are you seeing people coming from specific countries more so than a year ago or is it pretty much on par with what you were seeing previously? It's a lot wider than I realized last year. I guess I was in my referrals and. It went from there and through my marketing, it's everywhere. I've got, I've got a lot of South Africans now, a lot of South Africans who have the skill that want to migrate here and they've got the, um, the ability to adjust relatively easily. A lot of Irish, a lot of Irish uh, are coming over. The government actually flew over to Ireland uh, because I, I believe it was the easiest way to get people to come here. They can get registered as nurses and stuff relatively more easily. Uh, it's a lot of nurses that come out from Ireland at the moment, same as the UK as traditional market. And you know, you've got your typical Asia market, you know, you know, yep. Vietnam, 
not so much Singapore these days, Vietnam, Malaysia, Philippines, China. But there's been a massive influx from Nepal and, uh, and Bhutan. Okay. Huge, huge amount of them coming over at the moment and they're all just trying, you know. So it's been relatively interesting to, to learn these new cultures and understand how to do things. So what do you put that down to, do you think, from, from Nepal? And- I would say economics. You know, it, it's, it goes, I mean, even with South Africa, you know, these are skilled, you know, surveyors, these guys are, are very skilled, talented people, but, you know, earning the Australian dollar, uh, lifestyle, family, it's something that they actually uh, want uh, and the safety and so forth. But I find uh, the Bhutanese and the Nepalese, they actually want to go home. I've got a few staff here from there and I, and I asked them, I said, it's strange, I'm so used to migrants telling me I, I, I want to idiot forever and then you know Bhutan's known to be one of the most happiest countries in the world and they just want to go home they said yeah even I've got my citizenship I'm, I, don't, I don't want to be here I just want to work in my skills and go home so that has been very interesting like, I thought at first that was a, a, must be a scam I've been at this for a while now none of them want to stay here they just literally want to come here get the skills study and go home you know so um, moment. Make it their home forever. It's not. No, it's definitely not. I was quite taken back. It's obviously after COVID, kept hearing stories about people wanted that opportunity and so forth. But these guys, obviously, yeah, they're here for to help their families out, earning money here, bringing it back over there. Uh, and I find out that a lot of them are renting rooms here as a study. So um, there's been a lot of Bhutanese uh, that I know. My friends has a restaurant now, and well, not now. They've always had a restaurant and. All the Bhutanese and Nepalese guys are willing to work the hardest. You know, they're happy to to work and they don't have any issues. They've got a place to stay, they're safe. They're just happy. So it's um, something a bit different. I'm still new to stay one, you know, wanting to be here permanently. But, yeah, that, that market in particular, you know, very family oriented. So any final remarks as what you're expecting in the landscape over the next year or so? I'm sure we can have you back if we have any other major changes come about. <laughs> Let's see what happens on the 1st of July, yeah. and then there'll be a big reaction towards it, that's for sure. You know, the Labour government is blaming, you know, the Liberal government for being stagnant with the numbers and so forth, which, you know, not trying to get into politics, the numbers were the same for the last six or seven years, you know. Minimum salary wasn't that high, you know, the quotas were all set, they just left it the way it was. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. that would change things, because obviously, Students are very nervous. You know, all the students that are here, they're telling me, how am I going to do $70,000? And I said, you've got to be good enough. You've got to focus on your studies for well. Um, did you get a graduate visa? And the government has given them a graduate visa for three to five years. You get a longer period if you stay in regional Australia. Oh, yeah. So, learn to kind of map that progression forward in their careers right. and hope that they're at that sort of level at the end of the period, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really fresh graduates needing 70,000, it's, you know, come year three, year four, you need to command that salary, you know? So if people are starting to hear the news and they start to think, oh my God, we've just opened the floodgates and everyone's coming in, they've made it harder. They've made it a lot harder for them, but it weeds up the week. That's for sure. If they're going to try to stay here permanently, they'll need the skills, they need the language, uh, they need the education and so forth. So um, it'll be interesting to see the reaction. Yeah, they just want all the students and recent graduates are just very nervous about what's going to happen. That's all. A final other question I 
had come to me. I'm not sure if you're across what the they're doing with the new universities in the CBD and the timeframes on those. But do you have have you had yeah. any um, have you seen anything on the radar about how they might change you know perceptions and just what you know how that positions us with education in the the city and stuff like that. Have you have you got any thoughts around that? Because I definitely have a lot of input on that. Working in this industry, we're always working with um, people that want to build street combination. Right? I mean, possibly half the listeners here have students directly in their face. You know, switch came out, switch built a magnificent Mac ECU site, and then you got campus and so forth that are building student accommodation in North. You know, more people that want to build student accommodation. Right, so that it's it's becoming a hub because it's centralizing around campus. Um, even my friends in hospitality, you know, Yagan Square, they'll park themselves in there. There is uh, the old water tower from overseas migrants, and uh, there's a lot of uh, you know uh, investments from my local contacts here who, who want to be first to the action. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Anthony, and sharing all your knowledge and. Have to get you back again later and we'll see what happens on the 1st of July because that could be pretty important for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I still got a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. That'll a lot, help a lot of people. So cheers, mate. Cool. Catch you again. Thanks, mate. Take care. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.